What are you afraid of? That's really a question that's set before us in Mark chapter 5. It starts back at the end of the last episode of Mark chapter 4 as well. What are you afraid of? There is this continuing topic, this theme of fear. Fear concerning natural circumstances in the physical realm. Fear concerning um, opposition and power in the spiritual realm. Fear concerning our own weakness, infirmity, our own mortality. Fear of sickness, fear of death. What are you afraid of? Perhaps uh, it's that realization, that moment that you don't know what's going to happen next. But you've had enough trouble to trouble in life to know that if you're not having trouble now, trouble is coming soon. And maybe life has taught you just to be afraid all along the way. One blow after another. It's kind of for some, uh, for some people, life has become almost a post traumatic stress syndrome, not because of a particular single stressing environment, but they've learned life is not easy. Maybe, maybe it's a fear. We were just had some high school graduates. High school can be at one place for this, but it's certainly not the only place. Maybe it's, it's fear of rejection. What are others going to think? I know there were times along the way that Brian faced that in his doctoral studies, that he's in the midst of a secular environment where most people around him in that, in that program, at that high level, do not value his faith in Christ. What do we fear? Maybe it's that phone call. You get a call back from Kaiser Permanente. Hi, we'd like to make an appointment. We'd like to discuss with you the results of a recent test that you had. Now, you don't even know what the issues are. You don't know what the results are at this point, but they don't want to just tell you everything's fine. They want to make an appointment and talk to you about it. And, and, and you can feel it in your stomach already. What's going to happen? What's it going to take? Maybe how long do I have? What are you afraid of? What do you fear? These, these three episodes that, that, that I think link together in, from the end of chapter 4 in Mark through chapter 5 address that in multiple realms and we'll, we'll, we'll be confronted with what are we afraid of? What do we fear? And should we fear? What is the answer to fear? So let's jump in. First of all, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on the last episode in chapter 4. It's a familiar story where, where Jesus has been teaching the crowds, as we discussed. He explains the parable of the sower, and then they've been in a boat, and now Jesus says, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. Let's go across the Sea of Galilee, from the northwest corner probably, over to the middle of the eastern side. So you're looking at about a, about a five-mile boat ride. Maybe they're going to put a sail up. Maybe they're going to row the whole way. But it's going to be some effort to get there. And while they're there, it's been a long and draining day for Jesus. Jesus falls asleep at the back of the boat. And suddenly, as happens on the Sea of Galilee with the, with the natural phenomena around it, there a, 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 
a serious storm uh, comes up almost out of nowhere. And there's this bad storm, and all of a sudden the book of Mark turns into the book of Jonah. And there is this, this storm on the sea, and the, and the disciples are panicking, and they're praying, and they're bailing. And finally, they, in their fear, they roust Jesus, and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? They're not saying, Jesus, do something about the storm. They're saying, don't you care that we're perishing? Shouldn't you be panicking with us? Or maybe you should join us in prayer. Maybe it's like the captain that goes down into the boat and gets Jonah and said, what are you sleeping when everybody else is praying to their gods? You pray too. Certainly the disciples would have thought, well, Jesus' prayer is going to be better than mine. So get up. This is the time to pray. We're about to die. So Jesus gets up. And he doesn't pray. Catch that in the story. Jesus doesn't pray. Jesus commands. He rebukes the wind and the sea. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And he says, hush, be quiet. Peace, be still. And it is calm. So calm that there is no wind. So calm that if they had to sail up, it's no good to them now, and they're going to have to row the rest of the way. But at least they're going to make it. And now their fear has turned to fear. It says that they were, they said, who is this then? Seeing this manifestation of his authority over the created realm. There's a link back here to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Where out of the unordered chaos, the the spirit of God moves over the face of the deep. And that's where they are. They are in the deep. And he brings order out of that chaos. That was the Israelite understanding of the sea. It was a dangerous place. It was a scary place. It was an uncontrollable place. But not for Jesus. He brings order out of that chaos. He is the Lord. That's what Psalm 107 answers. Those who go down to the sea in ships and they find out that he is God. He is the Lord of the created world that through the storm, he is Lord. Lord of all. And then we move into, into Mark chapter 5, and I want to read the first episode there. If we, we need not be afraid of natural chaos or crisis. We need not be afraid of demons or spirits. And there is a reality of a spiritual realm. There's a demonic realm. Often it's, paid, it's played down in the West, isn't it? And yet you love a good horror movie. You love to be scared of, of spirits or ghosts. Such that it resonates with us. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Because there's something about that unseen world. There's something about that which is beyond me, which I cannot control, which I cannot wrap my arms around, and which powers are greater than me. A realm beyond my experience. That which is unknown to us is fearful to us. Well, take that up a couple notches. And you're in Mark chapter 5. So they came to the other side, just as Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Confidence in what God has said answers fear in the midst of the moment. If Jesus says you're going over to the other side, then you're not going under. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, here's Mark's favorite word, immediately there met him in the tombs, coming out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. 
a demonic spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him. So here is an unclean man who lives in an unclean place, among an unclean people. This is a Gentile area. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles, shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. It seems this man continues to try to do himself harm. He's in such torment, he would harm himself, he would even take his own life. How much of what is happening around us in society is, if not directed demonic oppression, is certainly demonically inspired? The hopelessness, the despairs, even, the, even those whispers in the ears of Christians at times. Nobody cares about you. You don't really matter. You couldn't do it. Or the guilt trip you should have done, you should have said, turning you around in circles, he's whispering in your ear that never whisper to you of confidence of what God has done for you in Jesus, of who you are in Jesus. But that's the way to answer them. So here is this man tormenting himself, cutting himself always crying out. And when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. There's this ongoing conflict. At times, when he, we don't know who's, who's speaking. Is the man speaking or is it the demon speaking through him? And who's doing what here? He says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. I have a picture of that for you on the bulletin or here on the screen behind me. There's, there's what that hillside probably looked like. This is in the middle of the eastern side of the, of the Sea of Galilee, very near a place called Kersey. This is the historic place most likely where this happened. You can see a flat place there where, where, where these pigs could have been grazing. There's a sharp cliff where they, where they go down to the sea. So quite likely the place, although the exact place doesn't matter, but it gives you a feel for the story. So there's this herd of pigs feeding there. These are Gentiles. They can be pig farmers, probably supplying the Roman army with pork for the troops. And they begged him, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, that's a huge, that's a, that's, a, that's a huge capital investment now that is just about to go over a cliff. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? Why were they not rejoicing? Why were they not celebrating? This is wonderful. Look what God has done. They are afraid because of the spiritual power evident here. They don't know the cause of it. This is beyond their control. There's a spiritual reality here. They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. 
and they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Isn't that curious? Doesn't that catch your attention? A wonderful thing has happened. This man that nobody could help has been made whole. He's been made, he's been restored. He is fully clothed. He's, he's, he's no longer bound in chain. He's no longer crying out and shrieking. He is in his right mind. He is, he is rightly, wondrously grateful for what God has done for him in Jesus. And these people come along and they see him and they see these fat pigs floating around in the Sea of Galilee. And what are they more concerned about? I think they'd long given up on the man. There's nothing we can do about him. There's nothing we can do for him. We will just keep our distance. He stays over there in the tombs. We'll stay over here in town. That'll work for us. They'd long given up on the man. What they're disturbed by is what's happened to the pigs. If Jesus stays around, is that going to happen more? Is there going to be more of a, what one of the men in my, in my Monday morning workshop called a stock market crash? It's kind of clever. What's going to happen to our normal? What's going to happen to our status quo? Is Jesus going to demand from us or require of us more than we are willing to go along with? It's easier for them to do with Jesus what they'd done to the man. Could you please just go? We don't want any trouble here. We don't want to stir anything up. Could you just go? Afraid of how Jesus might change, disrupt their lives, it's better for them to ask him to walk away. And so Jesus does. As he's getting back into the boat, I mean, there, there was a moment here. This could, have been, this could have been a people movement among the Gerasenes. But Jesus gets back in the boat. And as he gets back in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Circle that, with him. That he might be with him. Do you remember in chapter 3 when Jesus chose 12? Why did he choose them? He chose them for two purposes. He's chosen you for two purposes. That they might be with him and that he might send them. Two purposes. What is the man asking? He's using the same language that Mark has just used concerning the 12. These 12 who are now with Jesus getting back in the boat to leave there to go back to the Israelite side of the sea. And you're going to see that other places in Mark where, where Jesus is among, is among Israel. And then he goes and he departs and he goes to Gentiles. And then he comes back again after faith among the Gentiles. He comes back then to Israel again. There's something about first coming, second coming playing out. It's almost like Mark had read Romans 11. But, but these 12, the disciples who are with him, are going to get back in the boat with him and go away with him. And the man says... Please, please, please can, please, can I be with you? You have saved me. You have changed my life. You have set me free. I want to be with you. And Jesus says, no. Can we be done with the parts about what is Jesus doing here that we don't understand? He wants to be with him, and Jesus says, no. And instead, I want to send you. Look what it says there. I want you to go instead 
He did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and he began to proclaim all through the Decapolis region how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. This man, this former demoniac, this man who lives among the tombs, who, who won't stay dressed, who is dirty and filthy and unclean and has remnants of broken shackles still chained to him. Scars and cuts, probably tattoos all over. And he's the first one Jesus sends. He hasn't sent Peter yet. He hasn't sent James. He hasn't sent John. He sends this man. Isn't that wonderful? This is the first mission missionary that Jesus sends. The first one to go out. Probably the least likely. The 12 are saying, what? He's the one he sends. And he goes. And he tells. And there is that movement that we talked about. These, these are a people that probably the disciples would not have been so welcomed among. But this man has got a story to tell. And your story of deliverance, your story of what God has done, that matters to the people around you. There are people around you that need to hear, what has God done? How has he set you free? And so, they cross over again to the other side. Jesus now comes into contact with a man named Jairus. Verse 21, they crossed the boat. A great crowd gathered about him. He was beside the sea. But then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. This is a man who's somebody. He has a name. He's known to people around him. This is a man who has a position. He's one of the leaders of the, of the synagogue. One of the, or, he's the chairman of the board. Let's call it that. He's somebody that has some recognized status among others. And if Jesus can make a connection with him, maybe that's going to extend the ministry if we thought about this merely in human, sociological, and political terms. But he's, he's a person who is somebody. He has some standing such that he can come to Jesus and say, I need you. Could you drop the other thing that you're doing? Could you please come to my daughter? My daughter is critical. She might not make it. She's about to die. But if you would come and lay hands upon her, she would be healed. And so Jesus goes with the man. But along the way, there was this woman. A great cloud follows him and throngs about him. And there's a woman who has, she's unnamed. She's nobody. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She's unclean. She shouldn't even be in this crowd. Anybody she bumps into, anybody she touches, anybody who has accidental contact with her, they themselves would be made unclean and need to set apart social distance. She had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, suffered under many physicians, and had spent all that she had. She's at the end of her rope. She has exhausted her resources, and she has only gotten worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus. And so she came up. She snuck up behind him. 
in the crowd, touched his garment, for she said to herself, if I even touch his garments, I will be made whole. But who am I? That man, he can, he can call Jesus to his house. I can't do that. He's somebody. I'm nobody. What am I to God that God would look upon me and care? Because nobody else does. Who is this woman? And yet when she touched him, when she touched his garment, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and he says, Who touched me? Who touched my garments? And the disciples are like, What? What do you mean? Who touched you? These people are crowded in all around you. Everybody's touching you. How can you say, how can you ask, who touched me? Maybe it would be better to ask, who didn't touch me? Jesus says, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. He looked around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, here it is again, came in fear trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She confessed to him who she was, what she was, what she had done, and her desperation in it. And what does Jesus do? You shouldn't be out here. Don't you know the mandates concerning people who are unclean and how they would infect others? No. Jesus says to her daughter, this woman, who's just called this woman a nobody, Jesus says to her daughter, daughter, my own, the one who belongs to me, you're you're mine. I'm going to see his daughter, but you're mine. Daughter, your faith has saved you. That's the Greek word. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be whole. Be restored from your affliction. Oh, that's wonderful for her, isn't it? And, and she is, she's, she, she'd already been healed. But the reality of what has happened to her and for her is spoken to her when she is face to face with face with Jesus. You know, there's something here. Jesus could have gone on. She's healed. She's good. Let's get to, get to Jairus' daughter's house, right? We're going to run out of time. The clock is on. But Jesus stops. Jesus doesn't want to be merely a dispensary of benefit. Jesus intends to know his own. Jesus intends for you, not merely you can be included, you can also be rescued, you can be restored in the crowds, even unknown and anonymous. Jesus intends to know you. One of the reasons it's important to be known within the body of Christ, one of the reasons it's important to be known by other believers and gathering together, to walk together, to live together, to pray together, these are people I know will pray for me, these are people I will pray for. Because Jesus intends us to be known by him, so certainly he intends us to be known by one another within the body of Christ. Jesus wants her to know him, wants this face-to-face, and it's only in her confession 
It's only in her coming, as scary as this moment is for her, is he going to push her away? Is he going to take the healing back because she doesn't deserve it, because she did something wrong? But it's only in her coming before him, face to face, in confession, even with fear, that there Jesus meets her, and there she hears his word and is reassured and convinced in his truth that she is saved, that she is at peace, that she has been restored. Do you want that? Do you hunger for that? I have believed in Jesus, you say, but in this moment, in the midst of what's going on, I need peace. I need to hear from God that I am his I need to know that by his promise, I will be restored. Tell it to Jesus. Let's pause right now. Let's do that. Father, Lord, there's a lot of hurts in the room. There are losses very real around us. There are fears that we face. And God, right now, there are people around us in this room that need to hear from you. Father, hear their hearts right now. Hear them as they cry to you. Lord, I need your spirit to reassure me. I need to know that what you say about me is true. Because I'm in danger of believing the lies that are whispered in my ear. Lord, I need to know that in the midst of this physical weakness that I have, that I am safe and secure in you, not just for time, but forever. Lord, I need to know, as I've recently stood beside the grave of a loved one, that this is not the end, and it won't be my end. I need you to tell me again that I have been saved. I am at peace with God, even though I know my guilt. Lord, reassure us in our hearts that you indeed are for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Well, there's the woman. Wow. And yet, Jairus, in this delay and the time that it has taken, some word comes from the house, some others come, and they say, why bother the teacher anymore? Your little girl is dead. And can you see him just collapse? Can you see him? Well, he's standing on his feet still. He's going to try to be strong, but he has wilted on the inside. He doesn't turn and say anything to Jesus. Jesus overhears, and Jesus speaks to him. Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, do not fear, only believe. Jesus says, trust me. Do you trust me? You don't know what's happening. You don't know what you're going to find at home when you get there. Will you trust me? He allowed no one now to follow. He's not going to make this the commotion that it's already become back at Jairus' house. He allows no one to follow except Peter and James and John. And they come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and, and it's a pretty nice place. Jesus saw the commotion, the people weeping and wailing loudly. They, had, they would bring in professional mourners. Who would, who would play their flutes and they would wail a dirge and it would just sound wonderfully miserable. And Jesus comes along and he, and he ruins a good morning. 
Jesus comes and he says to them, why are you making such a commotion? And what's all this ruckus and weeping and wailing? The child is not dead. She's only asleep. They laughed at him. They said, who does he think he is? Get him out of here. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside and he took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him, the three, and they went into the smaller room where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he says to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, straight away, right then, she did. The girl got up. She began walking for she was 12. How old is she? We're supposed to see something between this woman and this daughter. We're supposed to see something between the two daughters. The daughter who Jerry is so treasured, his 12-year-old. And the daughter whom Jesus so treasures, who has suffered for 12 long years. We're supposed to connect that together somehow. As precious as she was to Jairus, so also the other woman to Jesus, and so also you. Immediately she got up. She was 12 years old. They were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is all about his compassion for. This is not to... to, to make a name for himself. This is not to show some great miracle so that he can claim more credit. This is for them because, yes, sometimes it doesn't seem like us. Sometimes in the troubles you wonder, but does Jesus care? The old hymn asks, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. How do you know God loves you? God so loved that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. How do we know Jesus loves us like he loved them? John writes of him who loved us and gave himself for us. That's how we know. The professional mourners, like those hardcore realists of every age, these are the ones who decide when empirical realities, when what we see and know, the science and settled, have foreclosed on the divine possibility. But God says, no, 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 just you wait. You haven't seen anything yet. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of what others think? Then look again at this woman who sneaks into the picture in shame, whom he declares to be daughter. Are you afraid of spiritual opposition and powers that are beyond our control? You say, yes, okay, I believe that God is God, and yet I want nothing to do with the demon. You need not be afraid, Christian. You stand not in yourself. Who you are in the face of a demon is nothing or nobody. And yet, you stand in Jesus Christ himself. Our authority is not our own. Our authority is in him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom, of what spiritual power would I be afraid? The the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power through God for the tearing down of strongholds. I don't fear any spiritual opposition. 
I don't go, I don't go on demon hunts. I don't look for some supernatural activity to get excited about. But having seen that realm in reality and in action and in oppressing people, oh, we, we dare not engage in the name of Christ to pray for one another and to take authority even over such opposition. What do we fear? Do you fear the financial future? And what plans will I make? High school is over. What comes next? I do not know. But this I know, Hallie said, I will follow Jesus. Where he next leads. Maybe it's that diagnosis you're awaiting. How long can this flesh last? Can we just be candid? Not long. Okay? Just relax. This flesh can't make it. But you know what? This corruptible will put on incorruptible. This mortal will put on immortality and then will be brought about the very saying that death itself is swallowed up in victory. That's not Bob's truth. That's God's truth. That's the reality. That is our future. That the one who lives, Jesus says, and believes in me will never die. Do you believe it? There's our confidence. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom will I fear? Are you afraid of needs, circumstances, situations for yourself or somebody else that are just beyond your control? Isaiah tells you this. Yep. This truth is that old. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, discouraged, in despair, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I couldn't do it. I can't do that. There's a need over the, I, 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 who, who and I to, to do something about that? No, no. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you, he says, by my righteous right arm. It's not on you. It's on him. Are you willing? That's all. Here I am, Lord, Isaiah ends up saying. Send me. Well, God has sent you. But he said to you, I will never leave you. No, I will never forsake you. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't, but I do know this. We learn it, in fact, in the very first episode. Afraid needs to be turned to fear. They were afraid, and Jesus asked them a question. Do you remember that? Why are you so afraid? Are you not believing? And you would say, yes, Lord, I, I, I believe. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And having seen the hand of God still those waves, the disciples, what does it say about them then? They were filled with great fear. A different kind of fear. A wondrous and awesome fear of the Lord. Who is this? The Lord of glory. And he with us. I will never leave you, he said. 
There are things that we fear. And there are things that we are careful about. And again, let's, let's instead of withdrawing, instead of turning back, instead of ducking low, let's instead raise our hands toward heaven and say, God, I need your help. I don't know what it is, but I know there's something because I know life over and over again just stinks often and frequently. And if life is good right now, things are sweet, nothing wrong, (laughs) just wait. And yet, and yet, we are not alone. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we do, Lord, trust ourselves to you. Who am I? Lord, what can I do? Apart from you, we can do nothing. And yet, by you, with you, in Jesus Christ, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God, would you remind us of that? Lord, would you not lead us into easy and peaceful ways, but Lord, would you remind us that the wind and waves still know the voice of him who ruled them while he was below. Lord, would you remind us that you still are the sovereign and living Lord over all creation, over all things natural and material and scientific. You are the Lord of all things spiritual and unseen. You are the Lord of our human frailty and even of life and death itself. And so, Father, into you, Into your hands we commit this life, these circumstances. Lord, we will trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.